Good to see everyone tonight. Hope that you are staying warm. I've been freezing the last two days. Uh, where I have my desk and my little office and a little cubbyhole at our house, it's, I think it's the only place in the house that the heat doesn't really get to. And man, I just sit there and freeze. And uh, Oh goodness, I'm ready for some warmer weather. I like seasons, but we're pushing it right now. This is getting too cold. So there you go. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and all the way towards the end, uh, about, about middle way end there. Look at verse 15. The, uh, if you have a newer Bible or if you uh, go online or if you uh, put your Bible on any kind of uh, an app or uh, anything that you have there for uh, technology-wise, uh, the heading might be something like this, Living by the Spirit's Power. Uh, some of the older Bibles that I have don't have that heading there. But uh, I thought that's very appropriate, living by the Spirit's power. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 15. We're going to look at 14 here a little bit later, but we'll start at 15 right now. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, this next part here, we're just going to gloss over this real fast because we all know about this stuff. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. We'll major on that one. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That's what we did tonight. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we just come before you tonight, Lord. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your encouraging spirit and presence in this place. God, I thank you for the worship that's gone up, Lord God, in your presence that has come down. And Father, we just pray that you'd give me the words. God, that you would be with our leaders, that you would be with our pastors. God, that your spirit would be with them, refreshing them and encouraging them. God, let it be a great time away, Lord God. And we know that uh, when they come back, Lord God, they've got a word to give and to minister and ready to go back to work for you, Lord. Thank you for times that we have that are down times in your presence, Lord. And thank you for times that we are used for you and for your glory. We give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, you and I, we have a story. We are living a story. At the end of our lives, we've got a full-length movie that uh, the Lord sees. We, we are living a story, and I love stories. I don't know if it's maybe just me, but I used to tell the teenagers, uh, whether they were acting right or whether they were being a problem in the ministries that we had at the time, I would always tell them, one day, you're going to be an illustration. I'm going to use you as an illustration in my messages. You probably won't be there when I do it, and I probably won't mention your name, but I guarantee you, you're going to be an illustration in my messages one of these days. Always reminding uh, our kids and our teenagers when we're ministering to them that you're a story. And it's a, going to be a, a positive or negative testimony of how you lived your life. And, and uh, a pastor that I worked for uh, a few years back, it, it was ironic. I, was, I had just gotten there one Sunday morning. And he used one of his kids in an illustration in his message. So we went to lunch that afternoon. Uh, his kid looked at him and said, Dad, you owe me five bucks. And I'm just sitting there off to the side kind of paying attention. And come to find out they have a rule in their family. Anytime their dad used any of the kids in an illustration in her message,
church, they got five bucks out of that. So all of a sudden, he just uh, used them a little less often in his messages. But I got to tell you, they say that the best illustrations in a message are the personal ones because they're from the heart, because they're real. And so we're going to talk a lot about stories. I love stories. I love to read. If, if uh, the only time I'm watching TV is, is, is when there's sports on, or if Michael and I or Reese are sitting down and we're just watching uh, TV together, if, if I'm at home alone, nothing else is going on, I'm reading. I read all the time. And this is not bragging. I probably read about two or three books a week because I just read so fast, and I just, it's just how it is. I read devotionals. I read, you know, obviously the Bible. Uh, but I, I read Christian uh, fiction. I read science fiction. I, I just like to read inspirational things. And when I'm reading inspirational, when I'm reading devotionals, I like what the devotionals has to say. I like the challenging part to it, but I find my eyes moving quicker and quicker, waiting for the next story, waiting for the next illustration. That's just me. I love stories, and hopefully you like stories as well. Jesus assumed that everybody he talked to liked stories because he used them quite often. And so a book that I read not long ago was a book uh, written by Rod Loy, who is the pastor at uh, uh, First Assembly of God in North Little Rock. And uh, he wrote a book called Immediate Obedience. Immediate Obedience. And it's, it's a little more than ironic, I think, because before he became the senior pastor there, he was the kids' pastor there, just saying. And uh, I'm inspired by the book and what he had to say, but I'm even more inspired by the stories that are in the book. And the whole idea, the whole premise is he felt the Lord tell him, what would your life be like if the minute I told you to do something, the minute I whispered to your spirit to do something, you immediately obeyed? And then not only that, what if you did that and then you taught that to your church and your congregation began to do the same thing? What would life be like? How much of an impact would you make in your world if you immediately obeyed? Instead of rationalizing it and saying, uh, was that really you, God? Or did I just have pizza the night before and I've got heartburn? Or was that really you or was that me? Or was, you know, all these kind of things that we begin to think, we begin to question and we begin to wonder. And before you know it, we missed an opportunity to do what the Lord was speaking to us to do. And uh, I don't know if uh, any of you guys that went to Southwestern, if you remember uh, Leroy Bartell, he used to say it was living by the nudge. It was living by the nudge. The Holy Spirit doesn't scream at you. He just kind of nudges you every now and then in your spirit. And you got to stay sensitive enough to him to hear that. And so I enjoyed the devotional parts of this book, but I found myself looking at the stories. And one of the early stories in the book went like this. Pastor Rod Loy finds himself at a nice restaurant with three other ministers, and they're sitting at a table. They were well-known ministers in the area, sitting at a table, and they were talking. And he said, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, this waiter that's about to come, I want you to give her $100. And he thought, okay, we'll see how this goes. And all of a sudden, this waitress comes up to the table, and I just have to tell you, she looked like he said in his book, she looked like she did not want to be there from her facial expressions, from her mannerisms, from the way that she was acting. Uh, she uh, had an alternate lifestyle, if you can just uh, kind of understand what that's all about. Uh, different color hair, tattoos everywhere, uh, and definitely did not want to be there at that place at that time. And so he began to rationalize and said, Lord, are, are you sure that you want me to do this for her? God, she's not even being very nice to us. Lord, she doesn't even want to be here right now. I don't know what her problem is. And then he began to think, Lord, I'm sitting here with these other ministers. They're going to think I'm trying to be super spiritual. 
They're going to think I'm trying to outdo them. They're going to think something's wrong with me. They're going to think all these things. You know how it is. You begin to think, and we begin to question, we begin to wonder. And the Lord says, I want you to give her $100. And he said, okay, Lord, what I'll do then is I will, uh, I'll, give, I'll go ahead and, and pay for the meal for all of us, and I'll leave her a really good tip. And the Lord said, no, I want you to leave her $100, put it in her hand, and tell her why you're doing it. And he said, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And the Lord says, you need to do it. And so finally the waitress comes back to the table and he says, uh, I want to give you something and I, I need to tell you a story first. And he said that she put her hand on her hip and she looked at him like, I don't have time for you right now. What are you talking about? And she looked over her shoulder and she said, I've got to go check on this table right here. And she left him hanging the whole time. He put himself out there and he said, now I feel like I've got three, three other ministers looking at me and they're looking at me like I just came out of the asylum or something like that is what he writes. He says, they must think that I'm crazy. Eventually, this waitress comes back over to the table, and he says, listen, I've got to do this. The Lord wants me to do this. I give you $100, and I want you to know why. The Lord wants you to know that he loves you, he cares about you, he has a plan for you, and he wants you to know him in a personal way. And he gave her this $100. She has her hand on her hip. She reaches out, and she takes that $100 bill, and she begins to change her facial expressions almost immediately. Oh, my goodness. This is real. Oh, my goodness, this makes my day. Oh, my goodness, this makes my week. This makes my month, is what he said that she said. And then all of a sudden, she paused, and she's thinking about it, and she goes, I'm taking this to Vegas, and she walked away. I would love to, you know, be Paul Harvey, for some of you that know who he is, and say, I need to know the rest of the story. But there's no rest story. That's all we know. But he was immediately obedient to the Lord, put himself out there, felt like he looked like an idiot in front of three other pastors, and yet never saw what he thought he might see, although he was obedient to the Lord. You know what we've got to do? We've got to say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you, and I'm going to leave the results up to you. Lord, I want to be a story. I want you to use me and your stories. I want to be an illustration for someone else down the road, but I know I've got to leave the results up to you. And in another book called Just As I Am by Billy Graham, he tells this conversation that he had with a certain president that uh, made a trip to Dallas back in the 60s. On the way to the Kennedy House, the president-elect stopped and turned to me, Billy Graham. He said, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? And Billy Graham said, I most certainly do. He said, well, does my church believe in that? Kennedy asked. They have it in their creeds, he said. They don't preach it, he said. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. He said, I took the time to explain what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, then promising that he would come back again. Only then, I said, are we going to have real world peace when Jesus really comes back? Kennedy said, very interesting. Looking away, he said, we'll have to talk more about that someday. And they walked away. Several years later, says the two met again at a world prayer breakfast. Said this, Billy Graham said, I had the flu. After I gave my short talk and the president gave his talk, we walked out of the hotel to his car together. As was always the custom, at the curb, he turned to me and said, Billy, could you ride back to the White House with me? I'd like to talk to you for just a minute. Mr. President, I don't feel well. He said, I've got a fever. Not only that, but I'm weak, and, and I don't want to give you this same uh, uh, sickness. 
Couldn't we wait and talk some other time? It was a cold, snowy day, and I was freezing as I stood there without my overcoat. He said, President Kennedy said, of course. He was being gracious. The two would never meet again. Later that year, Kennedy was shot. And Billy Graham said, my hesitation at the car door and his request still haunt me to this day. What was on his mind? Should I have gone with him? Because it was an irrecoverable moment. My brother in high school, I had just graduated, and he had two more years to go. Every day he would sit at lunch, and there were several of his friends that sat with him at lunch. There was one young man that nobody really talked to very often. He was a little bit of an outcast uh, as far as, you know, how teenagers are back then or any time, and he sat at the end of the table, and nobody had much to do with him. My brother would talk to him a little bit, try to get to know him a little more, but he was just quiet and didn't want to say much, and all of a sudden he just quit coming. And everybody was wondering, hey, have you seen, uh, you know, so-and-so? And and nobody had seen him. My brother began to wonder about him. And through a series of events, we began to check on this young man that he hadn't seen in a while and come to find out he had taken his own life because he felt like nobody cared about me. And that has stuck with my brother for years, another irrecoverable moment. If we can only learn to live in obedience immediately, and leave the results up to God. Man, the chance to speak life into someone, the chance to make a difference to someone else's life. And how many times have we missed that opportunity? How many times have we missed the opportunity to make our Heavenly Father proud of us? And it all boils down to recognizing our opportunities, recognizing our opportunities. So often we're not even looking. And so Paul would say, be very careful then how you live not as unwise, but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you look up the word opportunity and do a little digging with it, it comes from a a Latin word, and the Latin word literally has this meaning. It means toward the port. It's a picture of a ship that's taking advantage of the wind. It's a picture of a ship that's taking advantage of the wind, the circumstances, the waves, and it's taking advantage of all the things that's coming against it and using that to safely make it into the harbor. And so tonight, for you and me, I'm going to say that it has two, uh, two definitions or two uh, things that we want to talk about when it comes to two concepts, the word opportunity. The first one being this, always being ready to minister to someone, always being ready to give a word of encouragement, always being ready to speak into someone's life, to reach out to them. We know that uh, Peter would say this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, a reason for the hope that is within you. So we're always looking for an opportunity to speak life to someone. The second uh, concept that we would talk about is always being ready just to make the Father proud of us. Always being ready that the Father would be up there rooting us on and saying, that's the way to do it. Always looking for a way to make our Heavenly Father proud. And every day presents another opportunity. Every time that we are out and about presents another opportunity. In the verse that precedes our text tonight, Paul says this. This is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. One of my favorite commentaries 
uh, from Warren Worsby. He says this, It's sad to see so many professing Christians drift through life as if sleepwalking, never really making the most of the opportunities that come their way to live for Christ and to serve Him. And Paul is saying, hey, man, stop sleepwalking through life. There are things that come your way that you're missing. You don't understand. You're, you're not seeing. You're not opening your eyes. Look around you and make the most of every day. Because I wonder if when we finally get to heaven, if there won't be those that make it to heaven, but they didn't bring anybody with them. If there won't be those that make it to heaven, and as Paul tells, you know, at the believer's judgment, we're sitting there, and all of the things that we did, all the works that we have are going to be tried by fire. There are going to be people that make it to heaven, but they've got nothing to show for it except you made it. And that's not how I want to get there. That's not what I want to do. I want to bring someone with me. I want to have works to show for it. And so opportunity opportunity, the chance to minister to someone, the chance to make our Heavenly Father proud. And you could think of a whole lot more than I could. If we had time, we could just really dig in and pull up a whole bunch more. But let's put opportunity into four categories. Four categories of opportunity. Four categories to speak into someone's life or to make our Heavenly Father proud. And the first opportunity would be this, the obvious opportunity. I mean, if you were a businessman and this obvious opportunity came your way and you were somebody like Jerry Jones, you would jump on that and you would take advantage of that and you would do that because you were a businessman and you saw the opportunity and you know the, the wind is blowing your direction and you would take advantage of that because you would not miss it. It's the obvious opportunity. But in the Christian life, it's the obvious opportunity to speak to someone, to make a difference, to make our Heavenly Father proud. And, and I used this this past Sunday morning. We've been doing parables uh, in kids' church. And so we look at an obvious opportunity, and all these obvious, uh, all the stories that we talk about tonight, you know them. You're here on a Wednesday night, and so you would know these stories, and so we'll move quickly through them. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we know that uh, there's a man that is going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And we know that he is robbed by bandits. He is stripped of all of his money, stripped of most of his clothes, and he's left for dead. And we know that as he's laying there, people that should know better, people that are religious, people that are supposed to know God are walking by. Not only do they not walk close, they walk by on the other side of the road, and they keep walking. They look, they see, but they do nothing about it. And then he says, somebody that should not have done it, somebody that would not have done it, naturally speaking, somebody that is a Samaritan, somebody that the Jews know, they call that person a dog. They're dogs. We have nothing to do with those kind of people, back and forth. They're always at odds. They have nothing to agree upon. They don't like each other. And yet this Samaritan travels by, and he sees this man, realizes that this man is a different nationality than I am. Any other day, this man that is hurt and robbed, if he saw me being well, and looked at me, he might call me a dog, and yet today's a different day because I'm going to minister to this person who is lying on the road. He takes him, he puts oil and wine. That's a song that we used to sing back in the old days. I remember that. And uh, he puts medicine on this man, puts him on his donkey, takes him to the inn, and tells the innkeeper, here are two silver coins or two denarii, and I want you to take care of this man. And when I come back, if you need more money to help take care of him, I'll give you more when I come back. And just in case we're wondering just how much money did the man give him, it's how much money an average person back then would have made in one day. So one day's wages, two days given to help this man recover. 
And then Jesus looks at the experts in the law that are questioning him that day and said this, go and do likewise. It's an obvious opportunity. It's staring at you in the face. And we all say, that's one of those duh kind of moments. I should do something about this. Let's do something. And yet it wasn't that obvious for a priest. And yet it wasn't that obvious for a Levite. And in today's world, we would say that's the pastor. In today's world, we'd say that's, that's a deacon. That's a board member. That's a youth pastor or a kid's pastor. That's... And yet they walked right by and did nothing about it. And the Lord would say, oh, my goodness, be more like the Samaritan. Be more like the person you would say that you don't even like because he's the one who made a difference in the obvious opportunity. It's the religious people sometimes were drifting through life. And I hate to be called religious because I believe in a relationship with Jesus. I need the Holy Spirit, Jesus working through me, seeing through me, pointing out to me the obvious opportunities that I don't miss them so I can make a difference in somebody else's life. I want to say, Lord, here am I. Use me so that I can make a difference. I know that it's a story. I wonder sometimes if some of these stories, Jesus didn't just make them up, but they actually happened somewhere. Jesus just knew about them. What's the Samaritan's name? I don't know. What else do we know about the Samaritan? Just what the story says. And yet he's talked about for the last 2,000 years, over and over and over again. What an example for us tonight. Some time ago, I, I, you know, we could all share stories of how God used us, and thank you, Lord, for doing that. But some time ago, uh, my wife and I, we lived in a very, 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 very small house. It was a shack uh, on, right next to the highway, not much of a driveway off the highway. I mean, we lived right on the highway. It was kind of scary sometimes. As a matter of fact, somebody ran right into our mailbox right after we got through checking it one night. I mean, that's how close we lived to the highway. And we had a Bible quiz uh, tournament that morning. So we had gotten up at four o'clock in the morning. We drove uh, way, way, way on the other side of Texas to do the Bible quiz with the teenagers, come back, and now it's really, really late. We're getting into bed. It's really, really cold. It's really, really windy. We're really, really tired, and it's like one o'clock in the morning, and we've got to get up in the morning to go to church the next day, and it's going to be another long day for us. And all of a sudden, as we were just getting to sleep, there was a knock on the door. We opened up the door, and we looked, and there was a very, very young lady. And in her arms were two babies, one in each arm were two babies. And she said, I've got a flat tire, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And this was a little bit back before everybody had cell phones. And we thought, yes, I can go out there. I can change that tire for you. I'm really tired. It's really cold. I really don't feel like doing this. I'll do this for you. And we went out, and I'll be if she didn't have a jack, and she didn't have the right tools. And so I began to get into my car and to find this and to find that and put it together, and it didn't fit, and it wouldn't work, and it was just not happening, did not know what to do. And in case some of you are looking at me like, well, you're a, a, small, a small kind of person, and you know how pastors don't really work. Pastors don't know how to change tires. And so, yes, that's just a joke. And so, uh, you know, we don't know how to do the hard work kind of stuff. Jason was nowhere around to help us out, you know, didn't have any mechanics or anything like that. I went to my neighbor, and I actually woke him up. I thought, he's probably going to shoot me for doing this, but he's a bigger man than me. I need him to come out and change his tire for this poor young lady. And I woke him up, 
And wouldn't you know, he had the right stuff, but he still couldn't get it off. It was not going to work. And I thought, we, we've got to call somebody. We've got to call some kind of emergency roadside service. And she doesn't have any money. She's got nothing going for her. And she's got these two little babies in her arms. And I'm going, Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord said, you know what? You've got a credit card. And I said, yes, sir, but I've always been taught not to use that credit card, Lord. You know, that's, that's hidden away. We don't, the Lord said, you need to use that credit card. So we used that credit card. They came out, and I can only tell you that it was several, several hundred dollars to get this thing taken care of because they don't want to come out in the middle. You know, you know how those kind of things go. And so we, we, I helped this young lady. She had these two babies, and I helped her along her way. And I'd love to tell you the rest of the story, but I never saw her again. She said, thank you, and I said, listen, we're, we're pastors, and I want you to know the Lord loves you, and we're glad that you stopped here, because you could have stopped somewhere else, and you might not have gotten the help that you needed. That was the Lord, and I just began to tell her the best that we could while we had time waiting on uh, this truck to come and to help her on her way, and that was it. And I thought, well, Lord, we, we did it. You know, we'll be okay. We can pay this off, you know, those kind of things. And can I go ahead and tell you the rest of the story? I never saw that lady again. It was crazy. But something happened. We got to church several weeks later one Sunday morning, and in our box that we had, all the pastors had boxes, in our box there was money, and I, it was the exact same amount of money that we had spent for this young lady. And we didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell anybody what we had done. We wasn't bragging about it or anything. It was just there. And I thought, Lord, you met my need. Thank you so much. And I got to tell you the rest of the story about how the money got there. The person that gave us the money, we eventually found out who gave us the money, but they didn't want us to know how they got the money to give it to us. But eventually, it came to light, and this is the craziest thing. They inherited this land from their dad who had passed away several years ago. They hadn't walked out on that land. They hadn't done anything to the land. They had just been sitting out there with a whole bunch of old cars sitting out there. They went out to this old car one afternoon, popped the trunk, and they looked in there, and there was a case in there. And in that case was money. And they thought, we got to help some people that we know. And that's where the money came from. They couldn't tell me how the money got there, why the money was there. They have all kinds of questions about the person that they inherited that money from, you know. But it helped me, and God answered my prayer. And it's just crazy. You can't make that kind of stuff up. Only the Lord knows. It's a story. And I hope that stories will encourage us tonight. Number two. The next opportunity would be this, opportunity and a temptation. If I'm putting you to sleep, wake up. Everybody say amen. Opportunity and temptation. Temptation. We could talk about all kinds of temptations in the Bible. The first thing that comes to mind for me is Joseph. You know, he is uh, in a situation where he is a slave. Uh, his master, Potiphar, the general of all of Pharaoh's army, is uh, in charge of Joseph. He is so impressed with Joseph that he's put Joseph in charge of everybody else and everything else in his household. And uh, Joseph is a good man. He is a reliable young man. Potiphar is impressed with him. But not only is Potiphar impressed with him because Potiphar is, uh, because Joseph is a good-looking man, uh, Potiphar's wife is impressed with Joseph. And so she keeps making advances towards him. And and you and I know the whole story, and eventually she grabs him one day, and she makes a really forceful advance, and all he knows to do is just run as fast as he can and get out of there, and she's holding on to his cloak, and he runs out, and we know the story how she lies to Potiphar. Now, let's just stop and think about this for just a second, an opportunity in temptation, an opportunity to make the father proud. 
Here she is holding this cloak. Here she is lying about Joseph. And you got to understand, if Potiphar is a rich man, and if Potiphar is the kind of person that we know him to be, evidently, in the Word of God, he wasn't going to have an ugly wife. He had a pretty wife. And she would have been very tempting for a young man like Joseph. He could have rationalized it, much like the rationalizations that we've already talked about, and said, no one will ever know. She'll keep it a secret. He could have rationalized it and said, maybe she'll help me get out. Maybe she'll do something for me. Maybe I can get out of this situation. He could have come up with all kinds of excuses as to why to give in to this temptation. And yet he said, I can't do this, and I won't do this, even for the man to whom I am a slave. And we know the rest of the story. He's faithful there. He's faithful down the road. He's faithful in prison. He's faithful to the Pharaoh. And before you know it, he's second in the kingdom. And God uses him to save a nation and uses him to save the eventual nation of Israel. And he becomes an incredibly powerful man as he saves his own family in the end. But it was all because, as we talked about last week, he chose not to foul out of the game. He chose not to foul out. He chose not to give up in the situation, and God was able to use him. An opportunity to make the father proud. Acts chapter 5 talks about another opportunity in temptation. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, how they owned some land, and how they thought, you know what, we need to make everybody think that we are really somebody. We are super spiritual people. We're going to make a really good impression in the minds and lives of all the new Christians that are coming along in this church that is going, you know, it's the end thing happening right now. We need to jump in on this while we still can, and we'll look really good to everybody around. And so they planned together, they schemed together to sell this land and to give a certain amount of the land and to tell everybody that we're giving the full price of the land. My, aren't we spiritual? And so they do that. And one by one, Peter confronts each of them and says, listen, you haven't lied to me. You haven't lied to the church. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. And every time Peter confronts them, each of them die because they lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says a great fear came upon all the church. Listen, when you're talking about lying to the Holy Spirit, that's a whole nother level of lying. And man, I want to be used by the Holy Spirit. I want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when he's speaking me and nudging me and whispering to my heart, hey, I want to use you. Hey, you need to be obedient. I want to do it. I don't want to shut him out. Because if we get into a practice of shutting him out, if we get into a practice of not listening, if we get into a practice of not being obedient, before you know it, we become calloused. And it takes him a whole lot more effort to really get us to pay attention. I want to be sensitive. I want to be the person that he wants me to be as close to him as I possibly can be so that he can use me. But how many times do we find ourselves seeking the praise of people over the praise of God? And that would be under that foolish part of our text tonight. I want to understand what the Lord's will is not to be foolish. Number three, the third kind of opportunity that I thought of would be opportunity and problems. And all of us have problems. 
all of us have our fair share tonight. If we went around our problems, we'd be here all night talking about all the different problems that we have. And we can go through the Word of God, and there's problems after problems after problems. David had it. Daniel had it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had it. And uh, uh, on and on and on. Elijah, Elisha, Naaman, all kinds of people that had problems. Problems are an opportunity for God to do something great in our lives, for God to show up and for us to say, it wasn't me, it wasn't anything that I did, I was just trying to be obedient and faithful to God, and God gets the glory for it, an opportunity in the form of a problem, an opportunity for God to say, you know what, my grace is efficient because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So I thought about it, and I come to John chapter 9, and in John chapter 9 is the story of a man who was born blind. And so as they're walking along, they see this man that is born blind. He's obviously uh, uh, begging for money, for anything that somebody would give him. The disciples look at this man, and they turn to Jesus, and they say, Lord, what did this man do? Or who sinned? Was it him or his family? Or what's going on? Because, Lord, he's born blind. And Jesus says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. When I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And we know that Jesus, he spits on the ground, he makes mud, he puts it on the man's eyes, and he tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man is obedient, and he goes and he washes at the pool, and the Bible says immediately he could see, immediately he was healed. And as he's walking back, everyone begins to notice, hey, wasn't that the man that used to beg right here? Isn't that the man that he was blind, right? And he's walking around. He can see just fine right now. Isn't that who that is? Isn't that the man that was blind? And all kinds of rumors start and all kinds of gossip is going on. All kinds of news is going on. And eventually the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they get involved in the action and they begin to question everyone. How did this happen? They begin to question this man. How did this happen? How did you get healed? Uh, how can you see? People begin to say, you know what, you were faking it all along. You couldn't see. He said, I, 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 I was born blind. I can see now. They went over to his parents and they said, was he really born blind? How is it that he sees? And they said, yes, he was born blind. As to how he can see, we have no idea. We're just glad that he can see. And the religious leaders are going, well, we got to figure this thing out. Why can't we all just celebrate and go, what an incredible thing God just did. But no, we got to figure it out because something's wrong. And so they take this man and they said, who was it that healed you? How did you know? And he said, the man who is, who is Jesus, he said uh, to go and wash. He put mud on my eyes. He said, go and wash. And I went and washed and now I can see. And they said, listen, this man that supposedly healed you, uh, listen, he is a sinner. You shouldn't be listening to this man. And this blind man that was formerly blind said this, well, I don't know about that. I've never met him before, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And finally, as a last ditch effort, they said, listen, you, 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 they insulted him. They began to kick him out of their synagogue and said, you're not welcome him anymore. And they said, he said this, this is remarkable. You don't know where Jesus comes from. You don't know how he opened my eyes. But we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And man, they are so upset with him, but they don't have a leg to stand on. So all they can do is just kick him out of the building. 
But I tell you what, I think when he was kicked out of the building, he was probably kind of leaping and jumping on his way out because he could see, and you can't argue with that. But man, if he had known in the beginning, if God could have told him, hey, before you're born, let's have a conversation. This is crazy, I know, but I just think of the stories I like, wild imagination. If Jesus could have sat down and talked with him and said, for most of your life, you're going to be blind, but I'm going to use you to do an incredible thing. You just sit there and do your thing, and you hang on and wait, and I'm going to do something special in your life. I wonder if he would have said, Lord, how long do I got to wait? How long are you going to wait to heal me? How long am I going to live in darkness? How long am I going to be begging? How long are people going to ignore me? How long is nobody going to think anything about me? How am I going to be out away from the crowd? Lord, how long do I have to wait? And we know that's not how God works. Very rarely does God ever warn us ahead of time and tell us you're going to go through this every now and then, maybe. But you know what? In the midst of your problem, in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of what I'm going through, I'm going to hang on. Because when God finally comes through, it's going to be because of him. And he gets all the glory for it. And I get to benefit from it. And I'll be so grateful. Otherwise, I end up losing in the end. I want people to see him in me. I want people to see Jesus in me. I want Jesus to work through me. I want people to wake up and to see that Jesus is in control. And I want them to be ministered to because I'm hanging on to Jesus. Don't look at me. See Jesus in me. And that would be like at the end of our text tonight saying, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, the final opportunity would be a hidden opportunity, a not so obvious opportunity, and I'll move really quickly. Jesus has just had the last supper with his disciples, and the Bible says they sing a hymn, and then they go out, and Jesus goes to the garden, and he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I want you to watch and pray. And Jesus goes a little further away, and he kneels down in my imagination at this rock, and he begins to pray. He tells the disciples, as he gets up, he prays, and he goes back to the disciples, and he finds them sleeping. He says, listen, could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? He tells them, get up, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but I know your body, I know the flesh is weak. These are the men that have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him heal so many people. They've seen eyes healed. They've seen legs get up and walk. They've seen all kinds of things. They've watched him heal leprosy. They've watched him do all these incredible things. And Jesus has just talked to them uh, just, just that very night, just that night at the Last Supper, about all the things that are going to happen to him, and yet they still don't comprehend it all. And it's late into the night, and Jesus at his weakest hour at the moment of the greatest temptation when he's sweating drops of blood when an angel has to come and minister to him his disciples are off to the side his best friends those that he has trained and ministered to and worked with for so long the beginning of his church they are asleep they didn't understand they didn't know it was a hidden opportunity and finally jesus wakes up and he, he or jesus goes over to him he wakes them up and he says Rise, let us be going, because the hour has come. And I imagine the disciples, you know, they're, they're scratching their eyes, and they're waking up, and they're yawning, and they're going, what, what's going on? And here comes the mob that arrests Jesus. 
And I know for them, because of the way that they died, look it up how they all died. It was incredible how they went to the extreme, to the end, for the Lord, because they wanted to make up for what they did. They fell asleep when Jesus needed them most, and they missed an opportunity to really make the Father proud. There was a man in my life years ago who made a real impact on me. He wrote a song. It's called Watch and Pray. It says this. Could you not tarry with me one hour? Could you not watch and pray? While I carry the weight of the world on my shoulders, will you sleep your life away? Where is the servant who will faithfully obey the words I say? Where is the person who will simply watch and pray? You know, it wasn't putting yourself out there. They didn't have to go preach at that moment. They didn't have to look super spiritual. They didn't have to look uh, cool in front of anybody. All they had to do was pray, but they couldn't do that because they fell asleep. Lord, I want to be immediately obedient when you speak to my heart. Whether you have to yell, nudge, I want to be so sensitive, all you got to do is nudge and whisper, but whatever you have to do, Lord, to get my attention, I want to be able to say yes and be used for your glory. Lord, and I want my life to be a story that ministers to your people, a story that you are proud of, so that when the day comes, I will finally hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's read it again, Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Where is the servant who will faithfully obey the words I say? Let's watch and pray and be used of the Father. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. God, I thank you for your people that would come on a Wednesday night. God, I pray and hope that they are encouraged and challenged by your word. That God would go out tonight and tomorrow and this week, Lord, and be more, God, be a story that impacts someone else. Lord, be someone that you could use, Lord, and become an illustration, Lord, of how you used your people and how you're proud of your people, Lord God. Help us to be so close to you and living for you, Lord, that we hear your spirit speaking to us so that we can be immediately obedient and used for you and for your glory. God, advance your kingdom. Grow your kingdom, Lord, right here at this church, right here, Lord God, at this community that you're putting together, Lord. Use us, Lord God, to advance your kingdom. God, if anyone is going through a problem, if anyone is facing a temptation, God, if anyone uh, is going through a situation, Lord, and it seems hidden, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, we'd find strength in you. God, we'd find rest in you. We'd find direction in you, Lord. God, and we're listening to your spirit speaking to our hearts, Lord. Help us to make the most of it, Lord, every day. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you guys tonight for listening. Hope that you're challenged and encouraged. Thank you. Pastor Keith, that, that challenged and encouraged me in my own heart. Um, I was speaking with the brother today. I said, you know, when I come to church, I don't always, you know, sometimes we come and we'll hear a message and it's, it could sometimes be a real feel-good message. And, you know, those are always good things, but in my heart, I think every time I come, I want to feel challenged to go further, because when, then when I leave, I, I have a deeper 
urgency in my heart to want to be obedient to the Lord. And so, Brother Keith, thank you for that word. Let's just, let's just close with prayer again. So, Father, I just thank you for Keith. I thank you that he was obedient. He was obedient in listening to your voice and listening to the Holy Spirit's direction. I thank you for the word that was given tonight. Lord, it's impacted my heart, and I pray that it impacts every person here, God, to make an effort, Lord, to know that, Lord, maybe you're in the season that you're in because God's giving you opportunities to be obedient to him. Maybe we go through the problems that we go through so that we're able to see your hand move and work to inspire not only our faith, but to inspire faith in another person in who you are, God. So, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't look at the situations and the opportunities that we have, Lord, as, as a hindrance, but that we would look at them just as Brother Keith spoke tonight through the Holy Spirit as an opportunity to see you move, God. And so, Lord, forgive us when we, we've missed those and help us to be more obedient to enter into those. Lord, as we leave this place, God, let your voice be clear to us. Let your guidance be clear to us. Let your wisdom be clear to us, Lord. I thank you for this work, God. And Lord, let it be just in our hearts throughout the rest of this week, Father. And so forth, Lord, even for the rest of our lives, God. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being here tonight. You're dismissed.